Please turn with me to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Let me remind you that this is the word of the Lord. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like your Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I, betray, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne will endure before me like the sun. 
It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him in a mantle of shame. How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life, for what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts which, with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed. Praised be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. If you've got that psalm with you, it's going to be helpful for you to keep that open. It is quite a mouthful, um, but we'll work our way through it. Uh, we've just moved, as I mentioned, about a week ago, uh, which means my wife and I have been spending an inordinate amount of time on property rental apps and websites and things over the last couple of months. Uh, and man, do you have to be quick this time of the year. You have to be so quick. A place comes up, and you've got a couple of minutes to zoot through those photos and inquire, and once they've received a certain amount of inquiries, they remove the property off of the, off of the platform entirely. Um, and then from those inquiries, they'll kind of uh, narrow it down and so on. Uh, but that's the only way that you're able to get a viewing. That's the only way that you're able to get a viewing. And so, you jet through the pictures, you send off an inquiry, you get a viewing, you ask your boss for some time off so that you can drive 40 kilometers from Somerset West to the northern suburbs uh, to arrive at the place, and man, can those photos be deceiving. <laughs> those wide-angle lenses, those wide-angle lenses, the kitchens look massive, the ceilings look high, you can definitely fit a bed in the study. And once you arrive, you hold those photos up, against the reality, uh, they can be a little bit underwhelming, sometimes even perplexing. And that is exactly what is happening with the psalmist here in Psalm 89. The pictures and the reality looks quite different. Psalm 89 was probably written around the time that Israel was invaded, destroyed, taken into exile. And Ethan the Ezraite, we are told in the title of the psalm, uh, his world is coming undone. The destruction of the king comes with the destruction of the kingdom, comes with the destruction of the land and his people. And as he looks at God's character and his promises to Israel and her king, 
And as he compares it to his situation, as he holds the picture up against the reality, he struggles to make sense of it. He struggles to make sense of it. The king has fallen, and we have a window in the psalm into Ethan's wrestle with God about that. And so, uh, very briefly this morning, we are going to look at how he wrestles in three parts. The first thing we're going to look at is how he wrestled. The second thing we're going to look at is why he wrestled. And the third thing we're going to look at is what he wrestled for. How he wrestled, why he wrestled, and what he wrestled for. I want you to see firstly how he wrestled. And I want you to notice that he starts by recalling and remembering and praising God. He starts off the psalm by playing back the tapes. He plays back the tapes on God's reputation, firstly. Uh, Some ancient people imagined the gods to be a part of a divine council, a heavenly assembly, a kind of uh, a heavenly rotary club, if you you would, uh, seated in the skies, and the gods would deliberate with one another. They'd consult one another in order to make decisions. Have a look at verse 5. The psalmist says, The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord Almighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Do you see what he is saying? In this council, God is utterly unmatched in his might and in his faithfulness. Even when you compare him to his contemporaries, even when you compare him to the other gods, the Lord is the one who is revered. He is unmatched. But he doesn't just play back the tapes on his reputation. He plays back the tapes on his power as well. Have a look at verse 9. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. What he's doing here is he's recalling God's salvation through Egypt. Rahab is a, a metaphorical name that's used in the Bible uh, of Egypt. He's recalling Israel's saving here by God's mighty hand, his power over the raging seas, his defeating over his enemies, his crushing of Rahab. But more than that, he's recalling God's power as creator over the world. Have a look at verse 11. The heavens are yours and also the earth, he says. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is exalted. He is recalling God's power, not only as he rescued his people from Egypt, but as it is displayed in Genesis through creation. But he doesn't just recall his reputation and his power, but his rule. Thirdly, have a look at verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. 
They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. And by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. He's just, he's loving, he's faithful. Those who are under his rule are blessed. They rejoice, they flourish, they are safe. Now, this is one of the things which makes the psalm a little bit slippery for Christians for many, many years. Uh, He's praising God for his mighty power and his reputation and his faithfulness. But at the same time, those are the very things that he's questioning. Verse 46, verse 49. Did you notice that? Which is it? He's affirming God's faithfulness or is he questioning it? Is the psalm a psalm of praise Or is the psalm a psalm of lament? What is the psalmist doing here by starting his psalm in this way? Is he just buttering God up before he tells him the truth about how he actually feels? Why does he start his lament by playing back the tapes on God's power, his reputation, his rule, remembering his love and his faithfulness and his goodness? Because as his world is crumbling around him, when it seems like everything is falling apart around you and I, these are the hardest things to believe about God. Is he willing or is he able to come through for me? Is he faithful? Should I give my allegiance to something else? Is he powerful enough to deal with this? Does he care? Is he good? Have you ever asked those questions? What is the psalmist doing here? He's reminding himself about the things which are hardest to believe about God when everything in your world is falling apart. And so, verse 1, he starts the song. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. I will sing of your great love, your faithfulness, even when those are the very things I'm struggling to trust about you right now. I will sing of them. How does he wrestle? He wrestles by remembering, by playing the tapes. Without remembering, the Christian is in one of his most vulnerable positions. Because when storms come, he will be entirely anchorless. The storm will push you around, and the storm will dictate what you think God is like. The psalmist says, this is who he is, and this is what I'm experiencing, rather than This is what I'm experiencing, therefore this must be what he is like. Do you see the difference? How does he wrestle? By remembering. I want you to see secondly, why he wrestled. And he really wrestled because he feared that God had broken his promises. He feared that God had broken his promises. He doesn't only play back the tapes on God's reputation and his power and his rule. 
Uh, but he also plays back the tapes on his promises to David. Now, we don't have time to absolutely unpack everything here, but just have a look at some of these promises. Verse 19, I've bestowed strength on a warrior. I've raised up a young man from among the people. Verse 21, my hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him. And, though my, and through my name, his horn will be exalted. Verse 28, I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line and his throne as long as the heavens endure. This is why he is wrestling. He's looked at God's character. He looks at God's promises. And as he holds them up to his current experiences, he says this doesn't match up. This doesn't match up. All of these promises, verse 38, but you have rejected. You have spurned. You have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant, and you have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruin. Who will all who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. Where is the king's sustenance? Where is your love? Where is your protection? Where is his strong and lasting throne? You promised. You promised. I want you to notice, though, that the psalmist isn't just throwing a tantrum here. A part of his wrestling with God is recognizing the possibility that his current circumstances, the crumbling and destruction of the kingdom and its king, may be as a result of sin. It may be as a result of sin. That they perhaps aren't as a result of God's unfaithfulness, but as a result of their unfaithfulness. Have a look at verse 30. He remembers that God's covenant with David comes with blessings and curses. Verse 30. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with a rod and their iniquity with flogging. A serious wrestling with God must involve a recognition of the possibility of our own sin and unfaithfulness being the reason for our circumstances. That perhaps your world is crumbling around you, not because God has been unfaithful, but because you have been. That your life and relationships carry wounds because of your own sin and the sin of others, not because of the unfaithfulness of God. There are two mistakes for us to make around here. 
The first mistake is to think that every little bit of suffering and uncomfortability in our life is a direct result of some or other sin in our lives. This is happening because of that. That is happening because of this. That's the first mistake to be made. Jesus would say to his disciples at one point, it's not because of past sin that this man is blind. Remember that story? Not every little bit of suffering and, and uncomfortability in your life is as a result of your own sin. The second mistake to make, though, is to think that none of the suffering and uncomfortability in your life is as a direct result or consequence of your sin or the sin of someone else. No one, when he is tempted, should say that God is tempting me. But we are tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desires. How will you know which one? How will you know which mistake you may be making? Only if you climb into the ring with God. Only if you would wrestle. You must climb into the ring in order to find out that is what wrestling with God looks like. That's what the psalmist is doing. Promises, experience, promises, experience. I look at God's character. I look at his promises. I hold them up to what I see going on in my life, and I plead before him. You're faithful and you're loving and you're all-powerful, he says, but we're in ruins. You've made promises to protect the king, but he's overcome. Yes, there were consequences to these sins. Yes, you said you'd punish him, but you didn't say you'd take your love away from him. Do you see how he's wrestling with God? Why does he wrestle? Because he struggles to trust God's promises without being unhelpfully simplistic. The Christian life may very well be summed up in this very way. That following Jesus is about learning to trust his promises. Following Jesus is about learning to trust his promises. That he is who he says he is. That he will do what he said he would. That he is faithful. And perhaps this is one of the reasons so often our relationships with God feels stagnant. That we just haven't wrestled with him. We haven't asked the hard questions. We haven't held his promises up against our reality. Perhaps out of fear that we defend him. If you would allow a visitor to be quite frank with you, he will offend you. If only you would dare climb into the ring with him. We've seen how he wrestled. We've seen why he wrestled. And I want you to see, thirdly and lastly, uh, what he wrestled for. What he wrestled for. And here lies the beauty of the psalm. Did you notice his request right at the end, verse 47? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, 
how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemy, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. His request, what he wrestles for, is God's compassion. He wrestles for God's compassion. Is his current situation because of his sin? Is what's happened to the king just or unjust? Is it fair or unfair? Is it deserved or undeserved? Have these consequences gone beyond what God has said? None of these are his requests. None of these are his requests. His request is simply this. Remember me. Remember me. See how fickle and how weak I am. Verse 47, verse 48. See my suffering, my pain, my anguish. Verse 50 and 51. And just remember me. Just remember me. It feels like you've left me, verse 46. Like the love you once had is gone. Just or unjust, deserving or undeserving, fair or unfair, remember me and have compassion. What is he wrestling for? God's undeserved love. God's undeserved love. Not because of who he, the psalmist, is, but because of who God is. Lord, where is your great love, which in faithfulness you swore to David? Verse 49. This is the beauty of the psalm and the beauty of his wrestling as he pleads with God, not on the grounds of who he is, but on the grounds of who God is. No recollection of his own righteousness, of his own justice, of his own holiness, of his own good works. No, I'm trying out here. Please come through for me. Come through for me because of who you are. Have compassion on me. This is how the Christian wrestles. Doesn't cry for help on his own merit. He doesn't get his life in order before he approaches God. He doesn't bargain with God. If you do these things for me, then I'll do these things for you. Here's how the Christian wrestles. Lord, remember me, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. You've always been faithful. You've always been powerful. You've always been mighty and loving. Remember me because of who you are. The prayer of a humble wrestler. The prayer of a humble wrestler. As we draw things to a close. The birth of Jesus, which we remember this Christmas once again, is the answer to the prayer of this humble wrestler and is the answer to the prayer of every humble wrestler who has longed for God's compassion in a broken world. Christmas is God bending down in compassion because of who he is. It is him being faithful to his promises to David. He is the king come down to us, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. The king who in the ultimate sense is rejected, is defiled, is broken and crushed 
so that we might not be. The coming of Jesus is the answer to his plea. Do we still long for a fixed kingdom to come? Oh, yes, we do. But we still wait. Yes, we will. Will we still wrestle? Yes, we will. But while we wait and wrestle and long for his compassion, sometimes asking, where is your love? Where is your faithfulness which you swore to David? You and I have a tape in the cassette that Ethan never had. We look at a wooden manger, which would later turn into a wooden cross, and we remember, there it is. There is his love. There is his faithfulness. There is his power. Let me pray. Oh Lord, as we remember once again, your great love, your great faithfulness, as this Christmas we play back the tapes on your promises and your character, we give you praise that you are a God who comes to us not because of who we are, but because of who you are. That you are powerful and mighty and faithful and that you have compassion on those who are weak. We praise you for the great King that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.